Hey, Knowles, welcome to Front Row. Knowles, as always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles, and all is right with the world. KJ, 2-0, and Florida State in the top five. Everybody's feeling good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, moving up to number three, uh, there is a part of me that goes, this is too fast. Is this too fast? Slow down. Slow down. But I'm happy with it. I don't know if you're like me. One thing I've noticed, KJ, when FSU is good and relevant, I pay attention to the rest of the college football world much more. Do you find yourself in that same boat? I.e., I, let me see what the number four team, let me look at those Alabama-Texas highlights. Let's. When they're not, I'm really not investing that much. I, I would agree, uh, particularly uh, next opponents. You know, so I'm I'm watching Clemson real close, which means I'm ignoring Boston College, which is a good reason why I'm not a coach. Well, Boston College, there's no news to report as we're talking right now with uh, the storm headed that way. Keith and I are recording on Tuesday night, so we're not going to have an update on where that stands. Uh, but it does bring back memories, Keith, that I don't remember. Well, it was the it was the year that Florida State upset Matt Ryan in 2007, but I don't remember the name of the hurricane. But it was 42 degrees, and I stood in the rain for four hours of that game, and A.J. Nicholson capped it off with an interception for a pick six. I think you'd be conflating some facts there. But I was cold and wet in Boston. That's the basic takeaway here. And it was a, it was a game that Florida State uh, struggled and then – got hot and and it was really an important victory given where both schools were at the time because i think boston college had been coming off of two or three pretty successful years yeah, i think they were and i think they were number two at the time with uh yep with matt ryan all right so florida state up to number three in in both major polls we'll get uh kurt weiler our osceola insider will join us next segment as you uh thought more about the game because last we chatted it was 1 to one thirty in the morning on Sunday after the Southern Miss game. Neither of us were uh, significantly coherent, not because we were impaired, just because we're old and we were tired. Exactly. Uh, have you thought more about it? And uh, if so, any other reaction to what you saw and witnessed the other night? Well, the the continued thought that, by my estimation, Coach, uh, of course, Coach Norvell gave some good, you know, Coach Speak and, and Adam and, and uh, Coach Atkins did the same thing. I still believe that that team played without a lot of intensity in the first quarter, first quarter and a half. And yet we're still very workmanlike, very methodical um, in their execution. We, we just haven't seen that in a long time. So that then begs the question, all right, you got Clemson coming up next week. Uh, the, the game against Southern Miss is a game you're protecting against the emotional win and where you'll have a letdown and now Boston colleges, are you susceptible to looking ahead 
and have a letdown. And so if this team comes out either with intensity and plays well, or if they come out flat but still execute, they are still doing what they need to do to win ball games, And that's impressive. Yeah, it's hard to nitpick when the final score is what it was and the yardage and everything else. There was a there was a lot of slop in there, but in a short week and in that kind of game, it is they played 102 guys, Keith. Oh yeah. I mean, 102. Oh Man, yeah. That's pretty amazing. I will say this. I went back and watched some of the TV copy of it, and uh Jordan was not as accurate as what I had perceived live on this. It's hard on the sideline to see. Uh, when you get a, a higher angle, obviously, and you can see that maybe that throw should have been a yard further outside instead of inside. That said, and I've had this wrong in my head, is it called a 50-50 ball because there's a 50% chance the receiver will catch it and a 50% chance it'll hit the ground or because there's a 50% chance the defender will intercept it? I need a, I'm going go to go with the former. 50% chance of catch, 50% chance of no catch whether it's intercepted or hits the ground. Okay. Well, that would make a little more sense because in my mind, I think 50-50 and I think offensive guy, defensive guy. And even though Jordan underthrew a little, there were a couple behind, whatever, there wasn't any ball that was in harm's way. It hit the receiver in the hands every time. Exactly. And it wasn't as if the DB had a chance to pick it off. So there was not a concern of that. But uh, there was a throw or two that was off his back foot. And uh, we'll talk about Johnny Wilson with Kurt. I don't think there's reason for panic here. Um, not yet, anyway. Certainly not yet. Um, not yet. It, it yet does concern sure. me. It does concern me for this very reason. If you're the star receiver and you're dropping some balls, that's one thing. But if you're the star receiver that's fixing to get supplanted as the star receiver by a teammate, that's another thought process. You follow me? Well, let's talk about with Kurt when, when he joined us. Let me ask you this, though, Keith. As, long, as tall as he is and as long as his arms are, you can relate. I mean, you can get handcuffed on a ball that's at your midsection. I mean, sometimes if you're fully extended, it's easier to make the catch. Well, for him, that midsection is a bigger area because his arms are so long. Do you think that is – I'm trying to think about it. I'd have to chart his drops. But it feels like if he's at full extension – He's doing a pretty good job making catches, but if it's a little bit more in where his elbows are bent, it, it becomes tougher for him. I actually had this conversation with Ron Sellers during the game. Well, was it Ron that came up with it or you? <laughs> Ron said, you have to extend your arms even if the ball, you can never let the ball come into your body. So he's got to learn to extend his arms, not over his head, not to the left, not to the right, but extend your arms when the ball is coming right at your chest. Well, and that, he has and not learned to do that yet. The principle would apply, Keith. If the ball's coming to my chest, my arms, I, I can put them out. The ball a foot and a half sooner, if that makes sense. I mean, basically, Ron was saying he's got to learn to catch the ball with his hands. He still catches the ball too much with his body. Yeah. Well... Hopefully it was a, a one game. I will say this, other than the the little slant that he should have caught for a first down, and I'm not sure he needed to dive for that. He probably should have kept his feet. It wasn't as if the others were were routine catches. I mean, they were contested. I mean, he wasn't dropping balls when he was open by 10 yards. I mean, there was pretty good defense on most of these. No, but here's here's what does bother me, and this is nitpicking. But he did not need to dive for that ball, as you mentioned, in the slant. 
You only do that when you're struggling. When you're comfortable, you run through that ball, catch it, and pick up 10 more yards. You follow me? I do. I do. Well, then, then here's one thing, though. When you think about you mentioned the yips the other night, Keith. One area this would be different, at least I think it would be, if you're lining up for a putt, you've got all day to think about it. Not literally all day, but it's in your mind forever. Uh, same thing, you, you, you brought up Steve Spaths. I mean, a ground ball to second, the second baseman has time to pat his glove a couple times and then throw the ball. If you're in football going full speed, you don't have that kind of delay to get in your head. So I'm hoping that that is not something that equates. What do you think? I, I think it's technique, not mental. I think yeah. you you spend some extra time with him doing drills for him to get his hands away from his body catch the ball with your hands, even when it's coming into your torso, and then let that translate over into the game. Well, hopefully it translates this week, although alluded to the Boston game and the weather, uh, assuming it goes on as scheduled, it will probably be wet. It will definitely be windy. It would appear as we're talking on Tuesday. So it'd be a nice day to get the ground game going, I think is what I'm saying. Very much. And they did a very good job that in, in, in quarters three, four, and five against Southern Miss. Quarters three, four, and five? I don't I'm remember sorry, the two, fifth three, quarter. And four. Two, three, and four. Two, three, and four. Where was your fifth quarter? Uh, I, I, I plead the fifth. Well done. It might have involved the fifth. We'll take a break and come back, and I'll continue with front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler. Kurt, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing well. Shout out, by the way, we don't talk about this enough, but the Osceola does uh, – uh, great podcast during the week. I don't, I don't, I can't claim to know the exact schedule, but I do know when I listen, I appreciate the work that you guys do. So, uh, seminal sidelines, what is, is it? Monday, Wednesday, Friday as needed. Is there a general time they drop? What do you got, Kurt? We, we haven't exactly hammered out. The big one we do is we do a Sunday night show that recaps the, uh, the previous game. That's our big show every week. I know Pat, Pat and Mark Salva, and sometimes I think Fish hops on too to a first impression show right after the game ends. I mean, there are plenty of options there. I imagine we'll do something in the coming days. We probably do need to be better about advertising the schedule. You are right there, Tom. Well, I was going to point out, for those who've listened, they know this. And if you're an old-timer like KJ and I, you know who Mark Salva is. And if you subscribe to the Osceola. But Mark's a former FSU center, and he was a GA, and then he was an OL coach for South Carolina. And this isn't where we're going to start the conversation, but when it comes to talking about the run game and how Florida State is using its OL and why they're running zone more than counter and all that, I mean, Mark has really good insight and perspective on it, just my two cents on that. But actually, we're going to start with the passing game uh, that kind of was herky-jerky this past week because of the drops. And Keith and I were talking about Johnny Wilson, and and KJ's thought is, and, and I agree, is that it's it's not so much mental. It's more uh, technique or mechanical. What What do you think in terms of what you've seen from him so far? Is it in his head or is it he's still learning to be a better pass catcher? Uh, it feels like to me more of a in his head type thing. I mean, last, last week is interesting. I don't know because in the second half he was in street clothes. And I know Mike kind of alluded to yesterday, like 
he was going through something. We'll have to see what his status is this week. He mentioned that in the press conference. Um, I mean, he practiced today, so and he looked good doing it. It is a, uh, it's tough. I mean, I don't think it's something mechanical because it's hard not to think that Florida State would have figured out what that is. And I mean, he has ups and downs, and that was definitely as a, uh, as down as it's been, like over the course of kind of an entire game, or I guess even an entire half. He didn't play in the second half, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, it's a it's a brutal thing for him because really you look at that that's the one weakness in his game where I mean he would be talked about draft stock wise potentially like a Keon Pullman if he could get that sorted out. Well, my take on it, just as an observer, is he has not learned how to catch the ball. In other words, when he has to really extend over his head to the left to the right when he really gets his arms out and he has to catch the ball with his hands, he doesn't miss those. Yeah. But when the ball when the ball's in his torso, he has a tendency to let the ball come into his body as opposed to extending his arms and catching it. And and that's a technique thing. And and that's my take on it. It is interesting. And there's probably something to that because I mean you're right. It seems like he makes the harder catches much more frequently than the easier ones. And I know they teach you, I mean, I didn't play football. I know they teach you not to let the balls get in and hit your pads, because then you're gonna be more likely for them to uh bounce off i mean the one, a couple of the ones saturday were weird because it looked like he caught them and then the ground like not he just kind of didn't complete the 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 motion of the catch where i think a few of those could have maybe even been catches that just like it came out and they didn't take the time to review them but uh yeah i think there's there could be something to that for sure kj yeah i'm not there every they, they day certainly so wouldn't i wouldn't I, I don't disagree with what you just said, Kurt. They would not have been catches at the next level, however, because yes. you have to take yes. nine steps and like take out a loan to to you know to prove that you owned the real estate where you caught the ball. Um, do you, well, I mean, if you think there's a mental component, do you think that's trying to keep up with Keon? Uh, from the standpoint, I, I mean, it's it, it's apples and oranges is what I'm about to say, but it, you know, if you're in the you're playing baseball and you've been in the three hole uh and all of a sudden you're, the guys around you are, are better hitters are you trying harder and now you're hurting your cause kind of thing i'm not i'm not sure because like i mean they were a thing last year at times too you know he didn't ever have a game like that last year but the, it's not like this just popped up this year and we're like where did this come from we kind of knew it was an aspect of his game I mean, it, I think it's encouraging that whether if it is mental, and again, who knows, if it is mental, I think it's encouraging that it doesn't seem to be a pressure type thing. I mean, look at what his performance in that Oklahoma game. It doesn't seem like he he does it in big moments. It seems fairly arbitrary of when it happens. But uh, yeah, it, it is a, an interesting dilemma. I mean, the good thing is you have Keon Coleman, who I think you feel much better about in that regard, although he missed a few contested catches in that game, too. He had a few chances. You can't make all your contested catches, but he Johnny was not the only one who struggled a bit in securing the ball. Well, we credited, Tom and I did, we credited actually the Southern Miss defensive backs. That's as oh, good sure. a performance, a good a performance of executing the rip or rake or whatever you call it, the ball, that we've seen in quite a while. And, and Coach Norvell even talked about it in code on Monday when he talked about you got to finish the catch. Well, that's code for out uh, working or out muscling when when people get their hands on it. No, that's I think that's dead on. And frankly, with guys that big, when you're going to be at a size disadvantage, about the only way you can play, you're not going to get up on their level. You kind of have to get, see if you can get your hand where their their hands are. And they, I agree, they they did a great. I think they were credited with six pass breakups. And I mean that they, they were and all they earned them. They earned yeah. them exactly. 
skirt, Fultier was out. But when you see Spain and you see Williamson and Hill, Destin Hill got his first catch and Winston Wright uh, looks improved. Uh, not, not improved, but looks back to what he was. Who's the next best receiver after Keon and Johnny on this team? Um, I think when he's back, the case to be made, Kentron Portier. I think we've all kind of been disappointed that he, he's been banged up to start the year because in the spring, I mean, he was – uh, Keon wasn't here yet, and he was kind of stride for stride with Johnny for the best receiver on the team. Keon, or Kentron had a really good spring. Um, I mean, in terms of ceiling, I think Deuce Span, if he can play at that consistent level, I mean, the athleticism he has and his size is uh, is pretty remarkable. I mean, he – I think in the, in the press box today, I think I said goodness – when he uh, very loudly, when he took that jet sweep, but just his acceleration is pretty ridiculous. Darion Williamson's a guy. I mean, he's in that conversation too, where his thing's always been, can he stay healthy? It's he's made plays when healthy, and he's just battled injuries. And and, and long term, I mean, it might be Hakeem Williams. Hakeem's come a long way in a short time from where he was in the spring to now. And I mean, I think he is a an heir apparent type guy next year who might be pushing for a starting job when uh, we are assuming Keon and Johnny will be gone. You know, the one thing, and it's not a disagreement, but the one guy you left out that if he could be inserted immediately, in my opinion, would be the number three receiver because he's so different is is Ja'Kai D- Douglas because he can make some things happen with the shorter throws and with the tunnel screens and, and those things, types of things because of his experience and his speed, but he's been hurt. He hasn't been available. No, he's in the conversation for sure. I mean, Dustin Hill, I throw in there too, Vandravius Jacobs. I, I like the future, even if, I mean, there will be a, a bit of a challenge replacing two guys like those guys they're going to have to replace. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have some good parts and pieces to choose from next year, though. It's a good sign that Winston Wright was back returning kicks this week. This didn't come up in the press conferences on Monday, Kurt, I don't think. But uh, personally, I like, not seeing Trey Benson there since he's your number one tailback. Do you think that was a Southern Miss, let's try Winston Wright thing, or do you think Winston is now back there and Trey can just concentrate on being a running back? Well, the the first two weeks, I think, of the depth chart, it was Trey Benson or Deuce Fan in that spot, and Winston was a third string. Winston's now this week listed as the starter. So I think – I think Okay. That I think it, it, it to me, I mean, that he, he had the one return that I think he was fairly close. I mean, probably one block away from that going even further than he did. And he brought it out past the 30. So I think, I mean, he had that experience. He's starting to look like himself again. It's uh, It's been encouraging what he's done back there. And it's encouraging, like you said, that he's able to do that. Next time I'll look at the depth chart before I ask you that question. But that's, oh, no, that's a good sign. That. Good. Hey, Keith, uh, we have a two-game sample size now. And Keon actually had a double-digit yard return this week catching punts. What do you think? Are you comfortable with him or too many bouncing still? I mean, let's go to the expert, the expert former punt returner for FSU on this one. If there's one that bounces, that's too many that bounces. Um, but I am very, very optimistic that he can work into being a truly, truly consistent punt returner. So, yes, I like him. Uh, related only because we're talking punting. Kurt, Alex – aside from being bored, is punting really well this year. I mean, it seems like maybe you saw it all in fall camp. I mean, it's like his punts are turning over more now. Yeah, I wonder truthfully if he's learned some things from, I mean, Matt Jumento, the backup punter, is no joke too. He boots them out there on the practice field. I wonder if he's pushing Alex of like, you know, like, hey, I can punt too. Or if he's teaching Alex some things. The guy who's probably been punting 
probably longer than Alex has because Alex hadn't done a ton of it until getting over here. But you know, he's a uh, he's taking that step. He's kind of I mean, Lou Headley's uh Lou Headley's gone now. He's kind of the, the ACC's next great punter after Lou Headley left Miami. Well, and and I've never played rugby, and I didn't grow up in Australia, but they kick the ball funny. So learning yeah. to kick it conventionally is going to take him some time. Well, and that ball's a little different too, isn't it? It's like, it is also kind of oblong, but it's a little like differently shaped. So there's probably some different in intricacies that go into learning that. And the Aussies think that you folks from uh, Wildwood have a funny accent too, just so you know. Thank you, Tom. That's very gracious of you. I'll give you the commercial break for a witty comeback. We'll take a break and continue this conversation right after this on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones with uh, with Kurt Weiler. Kurt, let's talk some defense. You know, offense sells the popcorn, but really the defense has been tremendous. And uh, I thought it was interesting on Tuesday, Keith, I don't know if you heard Mike Norvell's comments after the Tuesday practice, but he made the comment that he went back and studied the last four national champion teams. And there was only one defensive lineman out of all four years that played more than 50% of the defensive snaps over the course of the season. Uh, which is a way of uh, rationalizing, not that he needed to, why they are rotating so so much and how important the depth is. Kurt, I'm not I'm not necessarily surprised by that stat, but I thought it was a. It just goes to show the depth to which coaches go to pay attention to where the game is and and trends and that sort of thing. Did that jump out at you at all today when he made that comment? It definitely, that definitely did. There might be something coming on that. I think we're hoping we can talk to one more defensive lineman and might be writing something this week. I mean, I think it goes back to something like, I won't say he said in like his pre-spring press conference, he brought up something similar of just saying, I mean, like he, there, he, I think the question came up about the defensive line depth and he, he said something to the effect of, you know, you look at teams that win the national title nowadays and they've got second team guys who can come in and legitimately like maybe not be at the same level because it's not realistic, but give, I mean, a legitimate, production at that spot and kind of give them rest i mean you look at the game saturday i think no first team guys played more than 25 snaps and some of that was the 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 nature of the game and florida state may have a, a few more games like that this year but no it's a uh, it provides some opportunities and i mean you've you've gotten that i think josh farmer's taken the next step fabian kind of talked today we talked to fabian love it and he said you know i'm kind of feeling like myself again and, and starting to ramp up more uh dennis briggs has been i mean i think uh Adam Fuller called him maybe the most uh, impactful defensive lineman they've had through two games. And it's hard to argue he has uh, two sacks in two games. And no, I think uh, it, it speaks both to, I mean, what he, I think he thinks of that line and what they've looked like through two games, but also, I mean, what he thinks of this team. I mean, that's, he is not, uh, he's not going to come out and say that he thinks this team can win national titles, many words, but by saying that, I think it shows what he thinks of this team. Any concern that the numbers are not spectacular for verse? Um, no, because I think he's been pretty impactful. I think it, 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 people look at the stats, and I think it's it's funny that did come up yesterday in a conversation. I think with uh, forget, I think it was Adam Fuller. Yeah, it was Adam Fuller, not John Papuchas. About kind of like how is he handling? I mean, he doesn't have sacks or two. He might not have the numbers, and and they talked about how uh, they thought his Southern Miss game 
was was even better than his LSU game, which was was pretty good too. I mean, he had, I mean, an almost forced fumble in that game. But just uh, he's he is he he's been impactful, and also I think a big thing is he draws a lot of attention. When you have a guy like that, he may not put up those numbers, but what it opens up for everyone else, the sacks we've seen from Dennis Briggs, from the other guys who who've gotten home in those first few games, I think are in large part because of that. So I. I get why fans would view it that way, but like I don't think it's hurting his draft stock at all, what he's done through two games, whether he has sacks or not. Well, the guys who make the picks, they 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 understand that. What is yeah. where where I would be concerned, not not specific to Jared, but when you're playing, and this is true for the national champion teams, see the stat that I just referenced. Uh, you're not necessarily going to get the stats that justify the national awards. You're not going to get the individual attention. You mean see player of the week because you didn't put up four sacks because you played 17 snaps, you know, and because teams are double teaming you and that's letting the D tackles get in. I just, I, Keith and I talked about it after the game Saturday night. I've been really impressed. And part of it is Peyton and verse, but part of it is the D tackles are so good. The pressure coming up the middle has been as good as I can recall in, in several years here. And it's affecting the quarterbacks. For sure. I mean, Braden Fisk is a is a dude on that front, and and as are quite a few other guys that I mean I've talked about. Frankly, it was a bit of a bummer today. I mean, Daryl Jackson had one of those wow plays where he just blew through the line and blew up a run like right as the running back was getting the ball, and you're like, man, this group's already good. If you had him, if he was eligible, which seems now from all the NCAA stuff that's going on with Tess Walker, isn't going to happen. It seems like the NCAA is kind of putting its foot down, and uh, that that is tough. But I think the encouraging thing is. I think you worried that, especially when Fabian was was ramping up still in the preseason, and when you didn't have Daryl when that came out, you were worried about this group. And I think through two through two games, one against a team we think is a really good team. I don't think I am worried about this. I mean, pending a few injuries, but I think I mean the the two maybe even three depth like three deep depth at that uh, defensive tackle position is in a good spot. One of the things we talked about over the summer and early into the fall camp is depth at safety. Uh, and evidently Dent's going to be out a little while. I really like the play of the young kids. I, I don't know that that's a concern of mine anymore. How about you? No, I, I think I uh, agree, frankly. And I mean, I think uh, Conrad Hussey, I mean, almost had a pick and and I think has adapted to that position pretty well. They've been playing Ashlyn Barker a little. I know Adam Fuller said they, they mixed in Conrad, I think in the first half, like Conrad was in before that game was like over, over. And I think that speaks to the confidence in him. And he's been a, a playmaker on the practice field. I mean, I think it helps a little. You don't want to lose a guy like Akeem, and we'll see how long he's out. I know Mike didn't entirely rule him out this week. That'll be something to uh, monitor this weekend in Boston. But I think you look at the next few weeks, and they're not the the worst few weeks to maybe not have Akeem if that's how that plays out. I mean, as weird as that is to say about Clemson, that, that Clemson passing attack has not terrified you through the first few weeks of the season. So you're almost better maybe if you can get him back, and who knows what the timeline is if he's good to go for Miami, because, I mean, that's a that's a passing attack that might scare you a little more after what they did Saturday. No question. Miami, I, I saw they're now going to be favored in all their remaining games except for the FSU game. So, but we got plenty of time to talk about Miami down the road, so let's not go there now. You're right, though, about that observation. Now, I didn't watch Clemson's game a lot last week, but I watched them against Duke. And the only throws I saw were basically 10-yard outs that affected the corners, but the safeties weren't involved in that at all. So that, that's a good observation, Kurt. Hey, the play of Blake Nicholson, is he is he now the number four linebacker on the team after the, the three known commodities? 
he's probably four or five. It's about him or Omar Graham. I think, I mean, both of them are going to start seeing the field plenty. I mean, he, he impressed me and he really carried that over into today. I mean, his, uh, his athleticism is really something he moves like really none of those, none of those other linebackers move. Kalen Deloach probably like moves the best of, of FSU's linebackers and how they put him as a spy when they do. I think he's very effective there, but Blake, I think even takes that to another level. And I think he's a, been a fast learner. I know Adam Fuller yesterday kind of talked about, you know, uh, when Blake got here, he didn't play linebacker. He played like corner and safety and running back in high school. So it was a new position for him. And Adam kind of said, you know, some of the questions he was asking, I would answer. And then I walk away and be like, oh, it, it might be a minute before he's able to play for us. And he's he's saying that's that's already changing. That Like he's he's already seen Blake come quite a bit in understanding. And that's uh, I mean, I think that showed up Saturday. What's what's the fear going into Boston College other than the letdown and looking ahead? What what might be a concern? I think that is valid. I think people, I mean, it, everyone's been talking about the LSU and Clemson, and there's a world where that happens. Um, I'm interested. What what uh, I mean, I, I'm interested. What Boston College's offense looks like, especially. I mean, they have the new. They made a quarterback change like less than two quarters into the season, bringing in. Uh, Thomas Castellanos, who I know Florida State recruited as a running back, but he went to UCF and then transferred to Boston College because he he wanted to play quarterback and has been the best option there so far this season. I mean, he kind of takes the athlete to even another level. I mean, I think he is kind of the guy that for a long time people thought Jordan Travis was, where there are questions as a passer, but he is an, an incredible athlete. And things like that can always get finicky. I mean, that's a real test on your defense, a guy who – may even be faster and quicker. I mean, I know Adam Fuller compared him to a slot receiver than than uh than Jaden Daniels, who you faced two weeks a few weeks ago with LSU. So I think that's something. I mean, that's a different kind of test for your defense. Uh um, I mean, I'm not overly worried when you look at how the first two weeks have gone, but there there are some factors that can go into that, obviously, like you talked about. There's a world where Florida State comes out slow. My concern, Kurt, is bad weather from this hurricane i.e you're in a slop fest with 30 mile an hour winds yeah. or something yeah as as we're chatting right now and it's it's dinner time on tuesday night folks if you're listening to this are you aware of any potential contingency plans in the works or and and to be fair when i looked at the weather earlier today we're talking about hurricane lee uh you know the forecast was 15 mile an hour winds and 30 percent chance of rain or something like that for chestnut hill so it was not as if the storm was going right over the stadium. No, no. I think it would be more – it would be more – I have not heard anything, by the way. I've kind of heard – from all I've heard, Boston College has kind of taken the lead on that, but I haven't heard extreme flirt worry from the uh, the Florida State side about there being any impact or the need to start creating contingency plans at this time. Yeah, I mean, that could take away your passing game, which has obviously been a, a highlight through two games. The uh, the encouraging thing, if if the winds are that strong, if it's rainy, if you're not going to be able to pass the ball, is that Holy Cross just ran for uh, over 250 yards and averaged almost seven yards a carry against that Boston College defense. So it's kind of – it feels like the Adazio days are gone a bit. And if you have to ground and pound them, I think you have the offense, the offensive line, the running backs, the quarterback to do that. And uh, I'm not sure they have a defense to stop that. All right. So, Tommy, Kurt's predicting Florida State will win 77-12. to 12. No, I think what Kurt said is we're going to go to the Georgia Southern playbook from uh, that year against Florida. We're not going to complete a forward pass. We're just going to hand it off every play and win 77 to 12, to your point, KJ. <laughs> I mean, if the winds are 40 miles per hour, we'll see if they can complete a pass. Maybe one of those tunnel screens. They could do those. 
Exactly. Kurt, anything else uh, we should be concerned about or that uh, we haven't talked about that's caught your eye through two games just on where this team is or as they get ready for BC? Um, I'm excited to see, I think, when we can see kind of a, a complete offensive game because I think we've been high on this offense. I'm not concerned, obviously, but I feel like, I mean, Trey Benson said it himself. We haven't seen that that complete game yet. And I think if we saw it Saturday, that could be bad for Boston College. If you see it, I mean, I think uh, we it's scary to think. I mean, Florida State's averaging over seven yards a, a play is among the top top offenses nationally. And I think they would tell you has left a lot, on, left a lot out on the field. So there's definitely a – I'm intrigued to see if they can hit that and what that could look like. I think we all are. I'd be okay if they were a little herky-jerky this week because then they'd be really dialed in for Clemson. We don't hit the century mark this week. But if we want to hit it at Death Valley, I'd be okay with it. And we, we can look ahead, right? Players can't, but we can look ahead. We can look ahead. We can look ahead. Kurt, appreciate it, sir. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks, he is Kurt, Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider. KJ and I will be back with some final thoughts right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Thanks to Kurt Weiler, as always, for joining us. The Osceola does such a great job covering Florida State and uh, appreciate them uh, supporting us as well. And I hope you guys are supporting them. KJ, one thing I meant to bring this up earlier in the show, Bill Connolly, who's, you know, the metrics guy for uh, one of them for ESPN. He just wrote a little synopsis in his Monday column. And uh, one of the things he said about FSU was basically, well, you can't argue with what they've done but I'm still not 100% convinced that their run defense is where it needs to be. Now, the numbers, if you look at the numbers, they're not great, and it's because of a 40-yard quarterback draw and a 30-yard draw before half at, against LSU. It's not a down-to-down -down thing. I feel pretty good about it, but where are you on that right now? I, I am feeling pretty good, too. I mean, if you go back and chart, uh, the particularly the Southern Miss game, when the starters were in, um, not when they brought in a freshman to play safety with the other three starters or four starters in the backfield, but with what you would consider the true ones. Um, I haven't seen anybody that has charted that, but I guarantee you that, that half of the drives are three and outs, and they were probably giving up two and a half yards of play. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that at this point either. Uh, now, if you're talking about if they're playing Georgia and that offensive line, well, you you might be concerned, but we're not talking about that right now. So Florida State going to BC this week, and uh, hopefully we kick off at noon as scheduled. Clemson kickoff is also 12 noon, which has people irritated and agitated. Personally, I'm good with that. Gets me back. This is the selfish, myopic way to look at it. Gets me back to town more quickly for my daughter's birthday weekend, so I'll take that. Well, and our, our, our listeners have already picked up on the fact that you're concerned about the weather in Boston College because you have to be outside. Well, yes. Duh. <laughs> Duh. My history with hurricanes in FSU football is not good. We had Louisville 02, whatever storm that was that went through there. Sorry for bringing that game up, folks. Overtime Thursday night, Mike Tirico goes nuts. Oh, that, that's the then, most rain I've seen at a sporting event in my lifetime. My lifetime, and you were out there in the middle of it. 
for four quarters and overtime. I might and add. overtime not and overtime. Not that I'm bitter about that, Keith. Uh, hopefully it's a non-factor, but I did bring it up about 12 seconds into the show, so obviously it's it's on my mind. Keith, <laughs> Miami uh, gets a, I don't know if signature is the word. I don't know if eye-opening is the word, but they beat Texas A&M. So is this, hey, they're ahead of schedule, or is this Jimbo's going to be walking away with a big briefcase full of cash at the end of the year because Texas A&M is just not getting it done? Well, I – tend to think that my see I thought Miami was a lot better last year than their record they just ended up being unfortunate and 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 doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in some games so it doesn't really surprise me that Miami would be beat Texas A&M I I think they have a chance to be pretty good Uh, obviously we don't play them for quite a while but I I you know coupled with the fact of what FSU did to them last year in 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 in, in basically the last couple of years, um, it's going to be interesting. Miami's just Miami. You got to always remember when you talk about Miami, you talk about the Gators. Anything can happen in those games. I always feel that way, even though there's been a lot of years where there's been no reason to feel that way. But the other thing, and that game is eight weeks away right now, or whatever it is, the the visiting team has had more success than a typical rivalry than there. I.e. I, Miami has won a lot more in Tallahassee than they have at home against FSU and vice versa. We'll save that conversation for down the road, but uh, certainly Van Dyke put up uh, big numbers and, and that appears to be a, a big challenge potentially for Florida State down the road. Did you notice that the Pac-12 is not going down without a fight, Keith? Did you see how many Pac-12 teams are ranked this week? They are. And, and the other thing that I thought was absolutely hilarious is the 10 teams that are leaving are still technically members of the conference. However, the two teams that are remaining, I think, have filed a court motion to not allow them to vote on anything because they're leaving. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the picture of the, of the pond bird that has the, uh, the frog in his throat. You know, he's got the, thro- the frog basically swallowed, but the frog still has both of his hands out around the pond bird's neck. <laughs> those two, those two Pac-12 teams, they're hanging on, buddy. They're hanging on. <laughs> they are hanging on. I'm not sure what's next for them, but uh, the ACC could take them. That'd be another 48 million bucks we could split up if we get them to not take any distribution, Keith. I'm telling you, let's just take every school left out there and make sure that they don't uh, take any TV money and we'll just start splitting their dollars. Well, uh, you know, I'm joking, people. Don't start the rumor that Washington State yeah. and Oregon State are coming to the ACC. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 all that coupled with uh, life sometimes is just interesting, Tommy, because in the middle of this, uh, we won't have enough money. We don't have enough money. We need more money. Um, and, and, and we should do this, but we've just voted to spend $255 million renovating Dope Campbell Stadium. Um, and I'm all for that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that in the world. I, 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 I think I'm fearful that those license fees and the, the things that are associated with it, that um, you know, maybe it doesn't come through quite like it's planned. But um, it, it's an interesting time for a number of reasons. I'm just hoping that the Block family will write that check for $60 million so we can get the roof put on the stadium uh, that kind of got leaked out and all that information. 
Yeah, uh, I can write the check. Whether or not it cashes is a totally different story, though, Keith. By the way, did you notice in the design of that roof that looked just like the old Texas Stadium? And our athletic director, by the way, was the one that spearheaded the, the building of the new Texas Stadium. To be fair, Ben Zierden, who who handles this with Seminole Boosters, he has he has said that was in the initial array of things that were just mocked up, but there are no plans for a roof. So let's just correct. It was just ironic to me. I mean, again, things happening in yeah. life that you just got to go, hmm, that's interesting. Well, that's kind of what people are saying about Deion Sanders in Colorado right now, right? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, they almost yeah. did the TV number than the Texas. Colorado, no. Nebraska. Now, who has had that circled on their calendar for the last 20 years? Nobody. Nobody. And it almost Nobody. outdrew Alabama and Texas. And here's the thing. I had this conversation with some folks up in the varsity club, some former teammates and other people that played at FSU. You know, for all the glam, for all the, all the, the performing in front of the television, if you watch that Colorado team play, they are unbelievably fundamentally sound. They play football the right way. And you don't do that if your head coach is nothing but flamboyance and show and that type of stuff. If you're an assistant coach there, Keith, you could look at it and say, man, why would you want to work for that show? But I think the flip side is he delegates. Oh, He's no letting question. his assistant coaches coach. And he's going out and taking all the bullets. And you could say he's taking the limelight, but he's the other coaches. People can't even name any of the coaches there, even though you and I know there's three former FSU assistants on that staff. There's four and they're happy on that to let staff, D isn't there? There's three that are on-field assistants, and there's a couple more that are involved in the program. But exactly, my point is exactly. they probably love it because Dion's not walking into the room and telling Charles Kelly that he needs to do this on second and eight. He's out there talking to the media, saying whatever, and Charles Kelly is game planning the way he wants to game plan. And I could make a very, very incorrect and, and politically uh, motivated comment uh, about a former head coach at Florida State, but I won't do that. Well, now you've got me uh, on the edge of my seat, Keith, but we're out of time, so I'm going to have to just hang here for a week until you can tell me who it is. Or, or maybe you'll tell me as soon as I say, folks, we're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. Front row Knowles. Only time will tell.